0: Peter begins uh, the epistle with the words, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. God blesses man by showing him favor. Man cannot bless God in any way like that. Therefore, many newer versions read, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. I think that's a better way to understand it. The writer of Hebrews reminds us, Through him that is Christ, then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of our lips that acknowledge his name. The Lord's message to us today is that praise is proper because of what the Father has done for us through the Son and does for us by the power of the Holy Spirit, resulting in the salvation of our souls. Before we look at those that idea let's let's pray. Father in heaven we do give you thanks for your great love and your mercy to us. We thank you for our Lord Jesus. We thank you that you have given us life in him. We thank you that as we gather together it's together in his name. We thank you that you teach us about him. Through your word, and we thank you that your word is not just a dead letter on a page in a book, but it's a living word. It's living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword that is made powerful by the working of your spirit in our lives. And so we pray that the Holy Spirit would give us illumination today. Father, may you bring to our attention what your word teaches us. May you bring to our attention and give us the strength to walk in the light as you were in the light, we ask in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Well, first then, I want you to look at the idea that praise is proper because of what the Father has done for us through the Son. Uh, There's two details I want to draw your attention to uh, under this point. Um, First of all, it's His great mercy. God has caused us to be born again by His great mercy. It's not something that we have done. It's not by works of righteousness which we have done, but by His mercy He has saved us, giving us new life by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's by the regeneration, the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. Titus chapter 3 and verse 5. And the Lord is in the process now, even of saving people for himself. <clears throat> when did this process start? Well, you know um, the reality is uh, William still is a Scottish minister who um, I love listening to, but he 's kind of difficult. You have to get used to his to his voice um, but he has the habit and he I guess he had the habit through his whole life of um, of of always saying. Before we consider this, we have to go back to the garden, right? And um, he, uh, when uh, he performed the marriage for Sinclair Ferguson and his wife, uh, uh, Sinclair Ferguson was afraid he was going to take them all the way back to the Garden of Eden. <laughs> um, but the reality is, everything does go back there, does it not? It started after the fall. That's when God began to make a people for Himself. We have the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent. And those two seeds are in a a conflict that is unto death. uh, And that's the way that it is in our world. And and that's what we see the result of today. It's only that it's it's getting more obvious to us. We in the West have not really experienced the kind of of the kind of horror that people in other parts of the world have experienced. You know, I've never lived in Somalia, so I don't know what it's like over there, but I can tell you what I read about, and it's horrible, and I've I've never lived like that. There are people who were born and grew up and are still living in refugee camps, and um, I can't imagine a life like that. And yet, that's what's happening. And so, it, it's more obvious to us today because we have the internet and we have news almost immediately after something happens, at least the news that people want us to see. And if you go on the internet, you see a whole lot more. <clears throat> but the Lord in His mercy is saving people in the, middle, uh, in the midst of all this uh, turmoil and, and confusion. And and so we live as Christians in the interim time, the time, the time between the times. Um, Christ has already been raised and we have been raised with Him. Uh, one day God will bring the kingdom to a consummation and we will all stand in glory and there we will always be with the Lord. Amen. And that's our hope. That's what we look forward to. Now, i don 't know all the details of how that's going to work itself out. You know we have different views of millenniums and all that stuff and i don't i'm not i don't Go down those roads, um, but what I do know is that the that ultimately the end. That's what I see. That's my. That's what they call the telos. That's what I. That's what I'm looking for. I'm looking for that end. That end consummation of the kingdom of God. However, it gets there is fine with me. <clears throat> but I'm looking forward to that. Secondly, I want you to notice under this point that God has caused us to be go, born again to a living hope. And the hope is living because Christ is alive. He has been raised from the dead. Therefore, the foundation of our hope is in the living Christ. And the living Christ is what distinguishes Christianity from all other religions. Okay, Buddhism worships at the shrines of a dead Buddha. Islam has a a dead prophet. You know, they may have said, well, he went to heaven on a white horse, uh, but not physically. (laughs) Um, Hinduism has more deities than can be counted. Uh, Confucianism doesn't believe in God in any sense, as far as I know. They uh, they are they are uh, what do you call them? Ancestor worship. That's what they practice. Uh, that and spirit worship in, in the forests or whatever. But um, but the question we have to ask is, how do these people know? how do they know that their beliefs are true? How do they know that, for example, Buddhism, how does it know that what it teaches reflects reality? Now... I'm not saying that they don't say some good things. It would be wrong for us to say they don't say some good things. It would be wrong for us to say that there's not some element of general revelation in all these religions. There really is. And so we want to be careful that we don't just you know, write them off as uh, totally and totally crazy. But we have to ask them the question and ask ourselves the question, how do we know what we believe is the truth? Why can't we just say that they're all true? Well, because they're all contradictory. Um, So how how do we know that they're true? Well, I believe that the Bible addresses that. I believe that Paul addressed that question, at least in part, when he talked to the Athenians in Acts chapter 17. If you want to turn there. You can read along with me. Acts chapter 17, when Paul is standing uh, in the midst of the Areopagus at verse 22 is where I'll begin. So Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. Notice that. He doesn't, he doesn't say they're pagans. I mean, he does, not that. He, he doesn't say that they don't have some religion. He acknowledges that they're religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, Yet, He is actually not far from each one of us. For in Him we live and move and have our being, even as some of your own poets have said. For we indeed are His offspring. Being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of man. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now He commands all people everywhere to repent because, this is the reason, He has fixed a day on which He will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom He has appointed. And of this He has given assurance to all by raising Him from the dead. Some of your versions are going to read, by this He has given proof to all by raising him from the dead. The point is, there's a testimony there of Christ being raised from the dead and that is the foundation upon which our faith stands. Remove the resurrection and you can throw Christianity out the door. No resurrection, no Christianity. Mm -hmm. We would have the same kind of hope that everybody else has. We might have American culture's hope, which seems to me is hopeless Completely hopeless. Uh, I would rather have hope in Buddhism or Hinduism than have American cultures hope. hope. It just they don't have any, and it's getting worse and worse and worse. Well, how do I know that this is true? I know it because Christ was raised from the dead. That's a fact. It's a fact of history. There is no distinction between the Christ of faith and the Christ of history. The Christ of history and the Christ of faith are the same. And and Christ was raised from the dead. a fact that cannot be just dismissed or swept under the carpet. People People can say, well, I don't believe that. So well, you don't believe you don't believe what the scripture says. You don't believe you don't believe the eyewitness testimony that the scripture provides. No, I don't believe it. Well, then don't believe it. But don't tell me that it's not true. You see, because the scripture is true, it's eyewitness testimony. John was a An apostle, Matthew was an apostle. Luke was an an accomplice with Paul, and he checked out all the details. Read Luke chapter one, verses one to four. Luke went around checking out the stories that people were telling because there was a lot that was being said. That you know, not everything that was that Jesus did or said is actually written in Scripture. John says that in John chapter twenty-one, the end of the chapter. Many more things could have been written, but they weren't. But there were a lot of testimonies going around. That's why you have these, these fragments that float around that, you know, ended up in, in Gnostic hands. But you have, like, the Gospel of Thomas. Okay, well, the Gospel of Thomas isn't really a gospel. But if you go through the Gospel of Thomas and you read the verses that are there, some of them actually come from Scripture. You know, some of them may actually be true. Why? Well, because there were things going around. But we don't accept it as canon. What we accept as the canon is what the apostles said. So it's apostolic teaching. That's what we hold to, that's the tradition. And it's full of eyewitnesses. People saw this, people touched him. Up to Paul argues in 1 Corinthians 15, it's a beautiful passage read it. It's to me convincing. If Christ isn't raised, then our hope is in vain. But he said Jesus appeared first to, well, he didn't say to the women, but he did appear to the women first. Then he appeared to the apostles, Then to Peter. Then he appealed to the apostles. Then he appeared to James. Then he appeared to the apostles again. Then he appeared to 500 brothers at one time. That's a lot of eyewitnesses. And Paul says, you know, the idea is go check it out. Go check it out. The witnesses are there. People saw this. And then Paul says, last of all, he appeared to me. <clears throat> so, we have hope in Christ. For a long time now, the church has conformed more to the culture than to the image of Christ. Christ. We have turned from preaching the word to promotional techniques. We have turned from prayer for the Holy Spirit to revive us to to pragmatic methods for church growth. Gone our evening worship and Wednesday evening prayer meetings. And even when we do meet to pray, it's not for the outpouring of God's Spirit. It's for our needs. It's not that our needs aren't important to God. It's that God's desire for His church is not important to us. Well, is it any wonder then that people leave the church and join themselves to the culture? In reality, both are hopeless. The church is lost or verb for the hope that only Christ can give. So the question facing us today is this. Are we praising God for the hope that we have in Christ? Or to put it another way, are we praising God for Jesus who not only died on the cross for our sins, but was also raised for our justification? And and by that resurrection, He gives us hope. It's a living hope. The hope we have in Christ is not an uncertainty. The Bible uses the word hope like we do, to be sure. Like Paul says, I hope I can go to Rome. I hope I can come to see you. Uh, That's my plan. But if it didn't work out, you know, it didn't work out. But God doesn't use hope uh, in that sense when he talks about the hope he gives us. The hope that we have in Christ is certainty. Because it is hope instilled in us by the Holy Spirit. It's a hope that's based upon God saying, I promise you this. And that's different than us hoping in what I can do or you can do. God has made a promise. And that promise is what gives us hope. And that's what gives us certainty. And that brings me to the second point I want to bring to your attention from 1 Peter. Praise is Proper because of what the Father does for us through the Holy Spirit. So God has done some... The Father has done something for us in the Son, but the Father is doing something for us right now through the Holy Spirit. In John 13 through 17, the Bible gives us the most extensive teaching by Christ to the apostles right on the night He was betrayed. Probably took around... People say around five hours for for that evening meal and the teaching to uh, pass. In chapters 14 and 16, Jesus tells them that the Father will send them the Holy Spirit so that they will not be left alone. He's not going to leave them as orphans. Well, on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit was poured out upon the church. Now, each of us have the Holy Spirit living in us. He causes us to be born again. He works in us to conform us to the image of Christ. But He also provides a surety for our future resurrection. The Holy Spirit is our guarantee. Peter tells us the Father has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for us, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. You see what the Scripture is doing. It's focusing our, our attention on the future. We always live into the future. You always live into the, the, to your end. So somebody goes to college. You're not going there just for that day. You're going to college to study something that you want to work at. And so you, that's your purpose. That's your goal. You, you reach for that. And then when you attain that goal, well, then you get a job. And then you work at that job. And you're always working into the future. You're never working into the past. If you're working just for the day, then you could be homeless because that's that's what I think homeless people do. They just live for the day. But if you're looking towards the future, you're actually working to get somewhere. And even some homeless people, they're homeless today, but they're looking forward to not being homeless tomorrow. And they're working toward that end. But if they weren't working toward that end, there would be no point in not staying homeless. The future is what we always look for. Our living hope, that is the hope we have because of Jesus, is alive unto an inheritance. Now, we all know what inheritance is. We understand that by virtue of the fact that our parents may leave us an inheritance. You know, I probably won't leave my children an inheritance, but um, there's more than, inheritance is more than money. Inheritance can be a good name. Yes. Right, yeah, that's right. Um, Amen. an heir inheritance can be that you just have a good family nothing wrong with, with that those are good things but in the Old Testament Israel's inheritance was not really the land the land was like a symbol of, of their true inheritance which was really God himself Amen. now this is typified by the Levitical priests the priests represented the people before God Though in reality, the nation of Israel was to be a kingdom of priests. And so, the fact is, God was to be their inheritance. In Ezekiel chapter 44, verses 28 to 31, we read, This shall be their inheritance. And God's talking to the Levitical priests. I am their inheritance. And you shall give them no possession in Israel. I am their possession. They shall eat the grain offering, the sin offering, and the guilt offering, and every devoted thing in Israel shall be theirs. And the first of all, the first fruits, and all of the kinds of, and every uh, offering of all kinds from all your offerings shall belong to the priest. You shall also give the priest the first of your dough, that a, that a blessing may rest on your house. The priest shall not eat of anything, whether bird or beast, that has died of its house, or is torn by wild animals. Well, Israel, as Israel was to be a nation of priests, a kingdom of priests, a lighthouse to the nations, they were to be, they were to represent all people before God. In one sense, well, the church is to be that way too. And in First Peter chapter two verses four to ten, look over there at First Peter chapter two verses four through ten. We'll go over this again, but. It's good for us to read it. As you have come to him, a living stone, rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. Marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, that's what the church of Jesus Christ is. We are a royal priesthood. We are a holy nation. We are a people that is for God's own possession. And that's the inheritance that belongs to us. Our inheritance is a heavenly one. God promises it to us and the Holy Spirit is the guarantee of our inheritance so that when the Bible talks to us about the hope of our inheritance, we we are to understand it as a hope founded upon the promise of God because our hope is founded on the promise of God. Our hope is certain and God gave us His Holy Spirit as a guarantee of our future inheritance. Paul says in Ephesians that we are sons and we are heirs of God. Well, he says that in Galatians 4. In Ephesians 1, verses 11 to 14, Paul talks about the fact that we have obtained an inheritance. Um, He says also that the Holy Spirit in verse 18, 13, that we were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee, the surety of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. Well, we can learn something here, can okay, we not? Our hope is certain, our hope is fixed. But I think that we can learn something else from that just by way of application. You see, we are to be like Christ, are we not? Yes, we are. Well, if we are to be like Christ, then we are to emulate the Lord before a watching world. Something that I think the church is failing at. And when I say that, I don't say them out there. Talk about myself too, okay? Failing at that. We need to be a people who keep their Word, and how often have Christians not kept their word and we have all kinds of mechanisms whereby we can promise something one day and reverse it the next we can even sign a contract and get out of it this is probably the most difficult one this is one that probably harms the most is that parents? How many times have parents promised their children something that they did not fulfill? Sometimes parents will promise their children something, and the children do something wrong, and then they won't fulfill the promise. You know, I think that's wrong. If you want to punish them for doing something wrong, then punish them. But keep your word. Don't. If you're going to make your promise conditioned on their behavior, then make that known to them. But don't take the promise away from them because when you do, what do they say when you tell them, you know, God promised you this? Well really, what if what if I do something wrong? Maybe God will take that promise away from me too. Don't you understand that our lives do reflect what we are as Christians? So don't be like that. Be like Christ. Keep your word or don't give your word. Take it from an old man, and I am an old man, who has failed more often than he has succeeded as a father. I'll tell you that honestly. Don't promise your children something and then for whatever reason break that promise. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. Anything else is from evil. Matthew chapter 5, verse 37. So then, we praise because it is proper. It's proper because what the Father does for us right now through His Holy Spirit. Well, then lastly, we praise the Father for what He has done for us in Christ and does for us through His Spirit, which results in the salvation of our souls. So we we give praise to the Father because ultimately our souls are saved. Why do I know that? Because God... Listen. We just read it. God is protecting us. God is keeping us. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen Him, you love Him. Though you do not now see Him, you believe in Him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. I want you to notice something. That we are praising God for that future promise that He's made to us in spite of the difficulties. Amen. Life is life is gonna throw you some curveballs. It really will. Yes. Amen. You know, you're gonna wake up one morning and you're gonna be shattered by what has happened. And what are you gonna do? You're going to stop giving thanks to God? No, we have to continue to praise God. Peter is going to tell us this throughout the epistle, but I just want to give you a flavor for this because Peter talks a lot about suffering. It seems to be a major theme in this epistle. In chapter 2 and verse 19, he tells servants to be subject to their masters with all respect, not only to the good and the gentle, but also the unjust. Why? For this is a gracious thing when, mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. Now, notice that he didn't just say suffering. You know, um, uh, he didn't say suffering because you hurt your toe at work. He's talking about suffering unjustly. Your your supervisor, the one who's over you, is just cruel and mean. And if you do a good job, he he just condemns you anyway well that's unjust suffering well what do you do you endure he says for what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it you endure it's not it's no credit to you if you do something wrong and get in trouble but it is a credit to you it's a credit to it's a credit to the grace and glory of God if you when you suffer unjustly you do so as a christian Again, in chapter 3 and verse 14, uh, the the apostle writes, "Uh, "...but even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts honor Christ or set Christ apart as Lord in your hearts. Set Him apart as holy." Always be prepared to make a defense for anyone who asks you the reason for the hope that you have. People are going to ask you when suffering comes, people are going to ask you why you can endure it. But we're supposed to follow Christ. Peter says in verse 3, chapter 3, verse 18, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that He might bring us to God being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. And we are too suffer as he did since therefore verse chapter 4 verse 1 Christ suffered in the flesh arm yourselves with the same way of thinking why well because Christ has called us not only to believe in him but to suffer for his sake philippians chapter 2 and this is probably the most difficult thing that Christians deal with we i don't do you like to suffer no no I mean I, I don't I'm, I don't walk out the door looking for it. Oh, here I am, you know, <laughs> batter me. You know, I don't do that. And none of us do that. You know, we have lived. Phil Ward always tells me, John, we grew up. In the greatest generation, I think that's what he says, or in the best generation, and in reality, we did. We both lived through the fifties and the sixties, and we've come to our, the end of our road almost. You know, he's seventy-seven or seventy-six. I'm seventy-four, so we're right at the end of our of our road. Amen. We lived a good life. I had everything I wanted. Mm-hmm. I had everything I needed. I had two parents who loved me. You know, I went to a school where they, tra- they actually taught me morals, and it was a public school, for goodness sake. They actually taught us abstinence when I was in high school, a public high school. They taught us abstinence. They, they, they warned us about things. That, I mean, it was amazing when I look back at my school years, what they taught me. Um, from and, and here we are today in a totally different world. That uh, One that I'm not even familiar with anymore. Well, now comes the time when we have to be like our brothers and sisters around the world. Somalia. People suffer for being Christians. Myanmar, or Myanmar, however you pronounce it. You know, people are people are are put to death. Sometimes they're imprisoned. Sometimes their homes are taken away from them. I was reading about Vietnam today. Yes, the Bible's legal to have, but you can't distribute it. And uh, churches are all. Uh, churches in the cities are usually given a lot more leniency, but churches out in the villages, uh, the people are persecuted. You know, they they, they try to gather together for worship and sometimes they're just driven out. Sometimes they're driven out of their villages. I was reading about, um, I think it's Uzbekistan this morning uh, uh, from um, Open Doors. And in Uzbekistan, there are Muslims there, and people are not allowed to convert other people to Christianity. Uh, They're not allowed to uh, promote the Bible, or, you know, some of them try to have churches in their homes, and they're driven away from their homes, and it's not just the government that does that. Their own families do that to them. I read about a woman whose sons beat her. Her sons beat her because she became a Christian and they beat her. They tried to get her to, re- to renounce her faith and she refused to do that. But they beat their own mother, for goodness sake. I don't live in that kind of world yet. And I thank God for that. Amen. But we, wanna, we might want to ask ourselves how it is that we're able to rejoice in sufferings. You know, do we grin and bear it like, oh, okay, i got to do this. Or do we muster up whatever courage we might have and withstand whatever comes our way? Is that what we do? Or do we endure suffering because our heart is fixed on the unseen realities promised to us and held out to us in the hope that is based on God's promise. In other words, do we live with a focus on what God says and not on what we see? Amen. I love Sinclair Ferguson. He always says it this way. Don't live by what you see. Don't, don't live by your sight. Live by your ears, right? Not your eyes, your ears. Why? Because you hear, you hear the Word of God. That's the idea. You live by what you hear. And it's not easy. That's why we need the power of the Holy Spirit. But I want to show you something. Turn to Romans chapter 5. I know you're all familiar with the passage, but it's good for us to rehearse these ideas. Romans chapter 5 verses 1 and following therefore since we have been justified by faith we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in what? in hope of the glory of God What are you looking for? What are you looking for in your life? What are you looking for in your sufferings? What are you looking for in your work that you do every day? Are you looking for the hope of the glory of God? Because that's what we should be doing. And more than that, he says, we rejoice in our sufferings. Wow! Rejoice in sufferings? How can we do that? By knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope and hope does not put us to shame why because god's love has been poured out into our hearts through the holy spirit who has been given to us wow god gives us his spirit in the midst of our suffering god gives his spirit is poured out in our hearts and we can rejoice even in the midst of sufferings. Now the sufferings are not defined they're just stated generally. they could be any kind of sufferings. You could suffer from physical maladies, you could suffer from um, you know you could suffer you could suffer the loss of a child you could you could suffer some kind of sickness. It's not you know you could suffer the loss of a job for goodness' sake, you could suffer the loss of your income it doesn't it, that doesn't matter what the suffering is. It can, be, it can be that kind of suffering, or it could be suffering because of the gospel. It, the, you know, God doesn't specify uh, what the suffering is, but when we, and when we go through it, we're to have our hearts and minds fixed on the hope of God's glory. We have to understand that God works in us endurance as we suffer. We learn, to, we learn to just endure. We learn to, look, we learn to live our lives looking forward to God's promise to us. And that pr- produces a character in us. Have you ever thought about talking to anybody who's been through suffering? Have you ever done that? Talk to somebody who's, who's really struggled in their lives and listen to their story. It's amazing. it's amazing how much you appreciate the character that they have. They have a strength that you, you wish you had. Sometimes they, when you talk to people who have gone through things, um, I remember growing up, even I listened to my grandparent, my grandmother really, telling stories about what they suffered through. My mother telling me stories about how they'd gone through the depression and how hard it was. You know and it did? It produced a character in them. And um, it made them strong. And it's something that you look up to. It's something that you appreciate. And then it says, character then produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame. Why? Because God has poured His Spirit into our lives. And what do we learn from that? Well, while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Since therefore we have been justified by His blood, much more shall we now be saved by the wrath. For if, we were, if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by His life. So we rejoice because we rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom now we have received this reconciliation, and what Paul begins with peace, we have a peaceful standing with God. Amen. And that should cause us to rejoice. Amen. This life is going to end, guys, one way or the other. Hmm. Somebody's going to beat me to death or hang me, or I'm going to die from natural causes. Somebody's going to hate me as a Christian and put a bullet in my head, or I'm just going to die because I get old, or because I get sick, and I, or maybe I'll catch COVID or something and I'll, and I'll die. Well, I'm going to, the point is, I mean, this life ends. But then what? Amen. Then what? And that's my hope. My hope is in then, not now. I've gone through this life. For all my failures and all my successes, they're all past now. They're gone. They've gone so fast, I can't believe it. But what do I have? I have the hope of the resurrection. The blessed hope that Christ will return. And I'll be raised with Him and with all the others and we'll spend eternity with our our Lord in heaven. And that should make us strong. That should give us character. So then... Praise is proper because of what God the Father has done for us through the Son, and now does for us by the power of the Holy Spirit, resulting then in the salvation of our souls. We live in times that try us at almost every point. We can't even depend on church any longer. So many are turning to culture for guidance and ministry rather than seeking God's design given in His Word. Preaching is becoming less available and less biblical. Prayer is becoming more self-directed and less God-honoring and biblically informed. People go to church to hear practical messages, never realizing that God's revelation of himself in Christ is sufficient. People no longer like theology. They consider theology esoteric and impractical. So they have exchanged the truth of God for a lie and are turning more and more to serve the creature rather than the Creator, who is worthy of all praise and adoration. Have you ever heard of Athanasius? St. Athanasius. Well, a proverb was attached to uh, St. Athanasius. He was short, you know. but um, There was a, a proverb attached to him. Athanasius contra mundum. Athanasius against the world. Oh boy! And why? Why did they attach that to him? Because Athanasius stood for the truth that Jesus Christ was fully God of one substance with the Father, and he did so, and it cost him being exiled five times from his bishopric in Alexandria, Egypt, because he would not flinch when the emperor told him, "You have to receive." Um, um, Arius back into the church because he had Arius had been uh, excommunicated, and the and the and the and the emperor said you have to receive him back in the church. Athanasius stood up and said no. Amen. Amen. He's a he's a heretic. What he teaches is not true, and I'm standing on the truth. Jesus is God. End of discussion. Out of out of the city you go. <laughs> Five times. Wow. Well, he's a good example for us. I love hearing the story of Athanasius, but he's a good example to us. Will we stand today in our world The question Peter leaves us with is this Will we praise the Father for what he has done for us in the Son and does for us in his Spirit, resulting in the salvation of our souls? Will we do so in spite of the world that stands against us? Will we do that even if, for now, we are faced with various trials and sufferings? Will we stand with the revelation of God and trust him and look to him and trust him to keep his word, or will we not? What will we do? Will we be like Athanasius Contramundum? Let's pray. Amen. Father in heaven, we do give you thanks for your great love and your goodness to us. Your mercy your mercy astounds astounds us. For while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God help us to appreciate that. Help us to live in light of that. Help us to live each day. Not for the day, though we have to go through the day and we have to do work in the day and we have to finish assignments at school and do work at at, at our respective em, uh, for our respective employers. Yes, we have to live through the day and focus on the day, but our our ultimate focus is not on the day it 's on the future, and so, as we work, whether in school, whether at home, on the job, may all that we do be done that you might be glorified. People may not understand that you are being glorified, but when we do good work and we do it for your glory, you are glorified uh, whether they realize it or not. And if it comes the time when we have to stand for the truth, God, help us to stand for the truth. Help us to be the kind of people you call us to be who live in light of the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. We ask this through Christ our Lord. And the people of God say, amen. Amen. Amen.